only you this morning. Lord, be glorified in your people. Help us to hear your word and respond in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning once again. Happy Labor Day weekend. Um, We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through the rest of the book. We're going to wrap up the book of Colossians this morning. This Colossians 4, 7 and following. While you're turning there, uh, one other thing I wanted to make mention of um, with things getting back to relative normalcy in some of our schedules, emphasis on relative, um, now is a good time if you're not in a missional community to consider that. A missional communities, it's what we call our small groups. Um, this is really our primary vehicle for uh, experiencing this church as a family. It's a primary vehicle for uh, discipleship, helping one another grow in the life of faith and the mission of the church. Uh, Many of our groups took July and August uh, off or did some different things, but most of these uh, missional communities are getting back into the swing of things. And so, if you're not in one of those, I would strongly urge you to uh, consider participating in those. Some are meeting virtual, some are meeting in person. Um, it's kind of up to each one of those uh, particular groups. Um, you can go online, missiochurch.org, and uh, just find the tab that says Missional Communities. You can sign up there. You can also email anyone on our team, and we'd love to help you get you connected as those um, begin to start their fall semester here in the next week or two. All right, Colossians chapter 4. Verses 7 and following, you're going to hear me pronounce all kinds of Greek names. Here we go. This is the word of the Lord. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, And that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis." Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, worship you, to gather with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ this morning to declare your majesty, your goodness. I pray this morning as we consider uh, truth found at the end of the book of Colossians that you would use it to uh, strengthen our hearts, that you would use it to encourage our minds, that you would Um, Help us to be satisfied in your word and your promises. Uh, 
We love you, Lord, and we entrust this time to you now, and it's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Okay, I want you to dream with me for a second. Remember way back when, when we could go to a movie theater and see a film in said movie theater. I know it sounds ridiculous. Keep dreaming with me for a moment. You would watch the film, and when the film ended, there were these things called the closing credits. And the closing credits, what would happen is first the star's names would be listed. You know, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Jennifer Lawrence, the adorable Ryan Gosling, you know, something like that. And, and then after the stars of the film are in those closing credits, then you get everyone else, hair, makeup, producers, personal assistants, sound tech, I mean, all those other people where the film could have never happened if they did not work hard and and participate in the production. Now, most of the time, way back when we were in the movie theaters, like we we wouldn't stay around for those closing credits unless, of course, you're watching a Marvel movie. They had the post-credit scenes, which we all stayed and watched for. Um, or uh, maybe you knew someone who contributed to the film, and you knew that at the you know, three-and-a-half-minute mark when the things are scrolling and the music's playing that you might see a name that you recognize. Or maybe you participated in the production of that film, and you just wanted to see your name. But for the most part, what we would do is the movie would end, and we would rush out of there, go to the bathroom, because we had been holding it for the last 45 minutes. Now, that's a little bit of a blast from our past, but we can relate to those, those closing credits in the film. What we have here, as we close out the book of Colossians, is the Colossian version of the closing credits. We know the stars. Paul, the Colossian church, the false teachers, but there's a lot of other people that contributed to the work that the Lord was doing in this church, the Colossian church, in the Laodicean church, in the church in Hierapolis, the church in Rome, and everywhere in between. And so Paul is giving some shout-outs to some people that need to be recognized in order for this letter to be delivered, in order this, for this letter to be received well. And so what we see here is, is an important part. I would say in some ways much more important than the, the closing credits of a movie. And we would do well to pay attention to the 10 individuals that are listed here and the two additional churches Um, in addition to the the Colossian church. I mean, all of these people, these churches working together to bring glory to God and to advance the gospel, all of these people in churches working together to help others grow in the life of faith and the mission of the church. And I want us to see the importance of these these co-laborers in this passage. I want us, 21st century church in Syracuse to be strengthened and encouraged by the work that the Lord was doing in the lives of these men, women, churches in this this early church, church in Rome, church of Colossae and Laodicea, Hierapolis. I want us to see the contributions that all these people played to the early church as much as time will allow. So here's the main idea this morning, that, that we, as the people of God, we are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. You and I, we, the people of God, we are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And we're going to see 
the messengers who deliver the letter. We're going to see the co-laborers who send their greetings. And then finally, we're going to see uh, the churches and some of the people that make up those things. So the messengers, the co-laborers who send their greetings, and the churches. First, let's look at the messengers. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Tychicus, apparently, was the person chiefly responsible for delivering this letter that we have known as the book of Colossians to this early church. The Scriptures mention Tychicus five times, and he seems to pop up at the end of Paul's missionary work to the city of Ephesus, and many likely, they conclude that it's likely that Tychicus might have been a convert of Paul's uh, while Paul was um, just doing some great and long-term ministry in that city. Tychicus is very trusted. I mean, he's, he's delivering this letter, and uh, he's likely a well-traveled companion of Paul's. And it says that Tychicus Paul tells this church, he's going to tell you all about my activities. Tychicus, when he's delivering this letter, I mean, it's to be read out loud to this church, yes, but then they're going to have all kinds of follow-up questions. They're going to want some status reports on some other people, some other things, some other activities. And so Tychicus, as an ambassador of Paul's and the work that the Lord is doing in Rome, he's trusted and he delivers it. Then he continues in verse 7, where Paul then describes a little bit more about Tychicus, as he might have been unknown to this church. Paul describes him as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. It's a beloved brother. I mean, Tychicus was loved by Paul and the early church in Rome. He's a faithful minister. Paul doesn't describe him, interestingly enough, as a great thinker, as a wonderful orator, um, as a great writer, or a wonderful Twitter follow. But rather, he says that he's a faithful minister. Faithful. That he's dependable. That he's reliable. That he's seeking to honor the Lord in the work that he does. And then he describes him as a fellow servant. The fellow could be referring to Paul, could be referring to the brothers and sisters in in the early church of Colossae. Regardless, Tychicus is a servant. And I just love these commendations. I mean, those three things, faithful brother or beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I mean, we we think of all the the commendations that we seek after and try to get. But Paul's not mentioning here that he was salesperson of the year, three years running or he wasn't the greatest manager, or he hadn't led the, uh, I don't know, the the PTA for the last couple years, or or coordinated soccer in their village. Like, no, what he describes his brother as is, is beloved and faithful and a servant. May we strive for those type of commendations that others would, would characterize us that way. Verse 8, he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. As I mentioned, Tychicus is holding this letter from Paul to the Colossian church. Most likely, he also has another letter to the church of Laodicea, which is mentioned in our section. He most likely also has the small one-chapter 
epistle, letter, that we see in the New Testament titled Philemon. Some also say that he, he may have the letter to the Ephesian church as well. And he's there for this very purpose, that, he, he says to the Colossian church, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. For Paul and the, this early church It's very important that their hearts are encouraged. And how will their hearts be encouraged? By Tychicus giving a status update on the Lord's activity in Rome and the Lord's activity among his fellow workers. I mean, notice the global church here even in the early first century. I mean, the global church. The Lord is doing some things much bigger than just in Colossae or or just in Rome, which was like the center of the world at that time. I remember when I was uh, 18 on my first overseas missions trip, I had spent a summer in Russia working with youth uh, just outside St. Petersburg, and I was just struck by um, interacting with other brothers and sisters in the Lord on the other side of the world who were worshiping the same God, different language, different customs. A different service order, worship service, all of that. Like, there's a lot of things that were different. But the, the sense of brotherhood, the sense of fellowship, the, the, the sense of affinity that I felt towards these Russian brothers and sisters. Why? Because we all worshiped the same God and we all served the same Lord. Now, uh, since then, just about 18 years later now, having been to almost two dozen countries and seeing brothers and sisters around the world, it still encourages my heart when I'm able to go to those places to see what the Lord is doing, to see that we serve a global God. And obviously, I haven't been to as many countries as like like Jordan, and maybe you haven't either, but this is one of the reasons at least why we have a a prayer focus each week. I'll come back up at the end of the service. We're going to pray for Uh, some brothers and sisters in the capital region of New York and in eastern Massachusetts. But we spend some time praying for the work of other missionaries, other church leaders around the world, that we may lift them up to the Lord and that our hearts may be encouraged that we don't just serve a God who um, is just Lord of our household. We don't just serve the God of central New York. No, we serve a global God who is at work all around the world in ways that you and I cannot dare to even fathom what he's doing. Now, I would encourage you, when at some point we can get on airplanes again and do all that stuff, uh, to to go on an overseas trip. We were supposed to, I think it was scheduled for last month, uh, do a mission trip to Thailand, which obviously got, I'm going to say postponed indefinitely until we know when that will happen. But if you haven't had an opportunity to go overseas and see what the Lord is doing, uh, please do that. But, but also, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, in addition to the prayer focus, and we have team members, people on staff that devote a tremendous amount of time to this. You, you, I think you're familiar with the work that one of our other elders, Jordan, does overseas, 90% of his time working with brothers and sisters around the world, church, church leaders and church planners and denominational leaders, helping them uh, figure out ways to um, disciple their people and um, 
evangelize these countries and these regions around the world. I think of the work that Cody does, who um, spends a lot of time um, with men and women in East Asia, I'll call it. Even Adam, uh, one of our, our other elders. I mean, the work that he does locally with the church plants and inner city ministries and, and other ministries in central New York and other um, churches in our area. I mean, this is, this is a huge priority for uh, this church, for us to remember, pray for, and seek to support what the Lord is doing in other places, not to become so myopic, so self-centered, or navel-gazers, where we just think about what God's doing in and through Missio. We serve a global God, and what He is doing around the world is so much bigger than we even dare to think. And we have the privilege, in some small ways and some big ways, to participate in that. Paul, sending Tychicus from Rome to this early church that they may be encouraged by what God is doing in Rome in and amongst them. And likewise, then Paul could also be encouraged by the reports that he gets from the small church in Colossae. Verse 9, we see this, this second messenger. It says, and with him, that's with Tychicus, I'm also sending Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Similar description to Tychicus. Who is one of you? Meaning Onesimus is most likely from Colossae. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. He's kind of reiterating that. Now, Onesimus, if you're familiar with the New Testament, particularly the book of Philemon, this name will sound familiar. We know that from the one-chapter book of Philemon that Onesimus was Philemon's runaway slave. Now, in Rome... Uh, or the Roman Empire, that meant that Onesimus would have lost whatever respect he may have previously had and could have been severely punished by Roman law. So for that reason, Paul, in sending Tychicus and Onesimus, he, he's telling this early church, accept Onesimus. And also, we see from the book of Philemon, Paul also wants Philemon, his former owner, his former master, to forgive Onesimus' personal sin against Philemon. Now, how Paul briefly talks about Onesimus here, I mean, just gives us insight again about how everyone's made in the image of God, how we are first and foremost to treat one another in Christ as brothers and sisters in the Lord, not based on status uh, in your job or economic status or what you can do for me or what I can do for you. Rather, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord serving Christ first and foremost. In this case, Paul's saying to Philemon, to the brothers uh, and sisters in the Colossian church, don't view Onesimus as runaway property, but rather view him as a faithful and beloved brother. All right, now those are the first two people. We're not going to take as long with the, with the next round of, of eight and other churches. We're going to move a little faster, but, but see the messengers first. Now, now consider the, uh, the co-laborers that send their greetings, and they're going to be in groups of three. There's, uh, the first three that are listed would be um, Jewish Christians, um, people that were Jewish and converted to Christianity, and the other three would be considered Gentiles. Uh, pick up in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. By the way, if your name is Jesus, it's probably a good idea to change it to something. 
In this case, another J name, but nonetheless, it could be a bit confusing. So Jesus changed his name to Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision. That's why, why I said these men were um, Jewish originally and converted to Christianity. They're men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, men of the circumcision, and I love the description that Paul gives of them. You see it in verse 11. Among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. What a great description. Now, you and I, if we are in Christ, you know what we are? We are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. We are called to work for the kingdom of God faithfully and energetically in order to give repeated opportunities for every man, woman, and child to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we work energetically and faithfully to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples to disciple others to grow in the life of faith and the and the mission of the church here for us we we all live in central new york we all live here we all play here most of us work here or students here and so we are fellow missionaries fellow workers for the kingdom of God. If you're in Christ, that's your job description. This is the mission of the church. And the work that the Lord is doing in and through you, there's no throwaways. Each of us are vital to the work that the Lord is doing here. And then also connected to it, the work that the Lord is doing around the world. And then he wraps up and he says, uh, they're fellow workers for the kingdom of God and they have been a comfort to me. Don't forget, Paul's in a Roman prison. Not sure how nasty the imprisonment was. I've been to Rome. I've seen what they call Paul's prison. If that is, in fact, Paul's prison in Rome, it's pretty rough. But Paul says that these three men, Aristarchus, Mark, justice, they've been a comfort to him. Their presence with him comfort him. I'm sure that they gave him great words of encouragement that that was a comfort to him. Their continued work for the kingdom of God was a comfort to him. I would encourage you, if you're not a member of this church, I, I would encourage you to become one because that, that's just this local church's expression of a way where, where we know who we're going to practice one another's with, who we're committed to pray for, who we're, we're going to seek to comfort and to strengthen. I would encourage you to live in close fellowship with others in this church in order to be a comfort and to be comforted. And one of the ways that we do that is through membership. Another way, what I said earlier, through missional communities. That, that is one of the primary ways that you experience this church as a family, not just by coming on Sunday morning. This is great. 
But there's obviously many other ways where we can seek to, to be in the nitty-gritty of one another's lives in such a way where we can be a comfort and a source of strength to one another. And if you're not a member of the church and or participating in a missional community, you realize that you're robbing others of comfort and strength, encouragement, to help encourage them to fix their eyes on Jesus. And not only are you robbing others, you're robbing yourself of comfort, strength, opportunities to be encouraged, to grow in the life of faith and the mission of the church. Our, our faith is very private, but it's not intended, or our faith is very personal, I should say, but, it, but it's not intended to be uh, in isolation or just us and, and our Bible and a commentary or our household. So even in the midst of a pandemic, let's figure out ways to be co-laborers, fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and that, that requires some close proximity with one another. Next person he's going to mention in verse 12 is Epaphras. Now, Epaphras is a stud, all right? Look at this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. It says that Epaphras is one of you. Most likely he's from Colossae. And many believe that he's the one that planted the Colossian church. Additionally, many believe that he also planted the church in Laodicea, which was uh, 12 miles west. This direction is west from your point of view. West of Colossae. And Hierapolis, which was uh, 15 miles like northwest of Colossae. I mean, this guy is a servant committed to the mission of God. Um, he, he's not only a church planter, but he's also a committed prayer warrior. Notice what it says. He says that Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, always struggling. That word struggle means to, to agonize. It means to wrestle. It, it means to contend for the people of God. It's, it's strenuous and consistent intervention with the Lord on the behalf of the people of God. And that's what Epaphras is doing. And not only did he plant the church, I mean, he's praying for these people and in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Paul vouches for that. But what is he praying for? That they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He's praying that the people of God would be, would be confident in the Lord's provision, confident in the Lord's sovereignty, confident in the Lord's goodness, in the, confident in the Lord's power, confident in the Lord's might, and confident in the Lord's glorious and wonderful will. And so he wrestled. He strenuously contended, consistently agonized in his prayer life for these people. I mean, would you categorize your prayer life assuming you have one, this way? Would you describe your prayer life, assuming you have one, for the people of God in this church or in your missional community as strenuous and consistent 
If not, why not? Brothers and sisters, we need your prayers. Those of us who are in leadership, we need your prayers. We need you to pray for others in this church. Is your prayer life, assuming that you have one, is it, is it just focused on you, your comfort, your job, your household, your future? Or is it directed towards others, praying for others in this church and other missionaries around the world. One of the reasons, and not only we spend the time corporately in the prayer focus, but at least part of the design is on Tuesday, we've been sending out emails, especially since the pandemic, Tuesdays and Fridays. And in the Tuesday email, you usually get a picture and a description again of the people we pray for on Sunday. So in order to inform your prayer life for these missionaries and church leaders around the globe, uh, among our members, uh, each quarter we update a, a member directory. It's pretty cheesy, but it's just pictures and names and an email, but it's designed to be a tool that we might always struggle on fellow members' behalf, that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That you don't know what to pray? Just borrow the language from this verse. Pray that your brothers and sisters would stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. Problems in your marriage? If so, are you always struggling in your prayers for your spouse's behalf that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God? Issues with your kids? Are you always struggling on your child's behalf in your prayers that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God? Brothers and sisters, pray. Pray for your family, yes. Pray for this church, yes. Pray for those in leadership, yes. Pray for missionaries and churches around the world, yes. And then we're going to see in verse 14, simple sentence, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts. The guy was a travel companion of Paul's, uh, contributed to a large portion of the New Testament. Demas. Demas is an interesting one. Demas is mentioned three times here in Philemon and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, you get a discouraging development about the life of Demas. Paul says that Demas, 2 Timothy was written after the book of Colossians, and so at some point Demas is with Paul when Colossians is written, but something happens. And in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says that Demas left him because, and I quote, he loved the world. This is also, I think, a, a sober reminder to us about the sad reality of, of ministry and life among fellow believers, that there are those who profess Christ. You see in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, for instance, where they're passionate about the Lord, they're excited, but to use the language of that parable, uh, the cares of the world choke that out, or they love the world and so they get distracted by it, or they love other things, and they forsake Jesus. They eventually abandon the faith for the love of the world. I mean, we, 
Look at just any of the headlines from the last couple of weeks, and you see a prominent Christian leader. But this isn't new to us. Prominent Christian leaders we see that are characterized for their love of the world rather than their love for Christ. I'm sure that you've known Christian friends that this has happened to. We've had it happen to people in this church, of course. And, and so it's just not that we should accept it from everyone or, or, or expect it, but um, we need to know that that's a possibility. All the more reason that we should be praying for one another. Don't assume that we're going to um, faithfully and energetically serve the Lord always. There's the flesh, there's the enemy, there's the love of the world. So let's pray. And when that happens, and it, it even happened to Paul, one of his close companions, doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing anything wrong, but... Um, it's a reminder of our dependence upon the Lord and the importance of our pursuit of Him and the need for others to strengthen and encourage us. Now, uh, there's also something unique uh, about Mark. Mark's mentioned, uh, I think it's verse uh, 10 or 11, uh, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. It just is also a unique picture of reconciliation where um, Paul's first missionary journey, Mark, Barnabas, Paul go out. Uh, Mark leaves early, and then Paul and Barnabas have an argument over whether Mark should be allowed to come on the second missionary journey. And so, um, Paul says, no, he's not coming. Barnabas says, no, I'm taking him. He's my cousin. So, they end up going their separate ways. But what we see here, this is written later on, that there is some type of restoration and reconciliation with Mark and Paul. That should also give us hope. The, The story isn't finally written when we go through those things, but we should work towards restoration and reconciliation. Then lastly, just a couple of brief observations because we're out of time. In Colossians 4, 15, it says, give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. They love that. You know, Paul um, wants the brothers and sisters in Laodicea to be greeted. And then he acknowledges Nympha and the church in her house. I mean, that's a church meeting in her, her house. We have missional communities. A lot of them are meeting in houses, but right now we have a location that's meeting in a school auditorium and a used car dealership. I mean, so there's nothing sacred necessarily about where the church meets, but it's the church, the people of God coming together. Paul sends his greetings there. In verse 16, he says, read the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans and also make sure that this letter is read among them. You see this greater body partnership. Think about the the vision for this church. I would say really for any church, but, but for this church that we want to saturate this area with the gospel. How are we going to do that? Well, it's through you, the people of God, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's also about uh, planting new expressions and planting new churches. And, of course, uh, it's also about partnering with existing like, uh, churches that are, that are committed to the gospel. Churches, like in this case, the Laodicean church and the church in Hierapolis, who are um, going to work together to make sure that that area has repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. And then Paul closes, I write this letter with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This has been a phenomenal book, I think, for us to go through over the last, I think it's been about 15 weeks, but all 13 weeks that we've regathered. It's a great letter for a church that has threats from within and without to sever our unity. It's a great church for a, a great letter for a country 
that is divided. It's an election year that's locked down in the midst of a pandemic. And there have been some pretty remarkable principles about how we are to conduct ourselves, how we're to serve one another, how we're to pray, how we're to be salt and light, etc. And so I pray that this letter has strengthened you. I pray that the closing credits, that, that you were struck by some of the interactions among these brothers and sisters, and that we, we would be committed, faithful, co-laborers for the gospel, that the Lord may be glorified, and that His Word would go forth. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this book, and I thank You for this time together. I pray that You would uh, use it to strengthen us and encourage us. I pray that we would be counted as fellow workers for the kingdom of God. I thank You for this church, for these brothers and sisters, uh, not only here downtown, but of course also in Casanova, in the valley, and in Cicero that make up Missio Church. Thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to be salt and light, to glorify you, and that we can co-labor together here in central New York. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.